Hello, friends, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and, yes, even joy. Underlying every conversation is the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible to not just survive the loss of a child, but to live well while we're waiting to see them again in heaven one day. You could learn more about our ministry and the free bereaved parent retreats we host by visiting our website at www.whilewe'rewaiting.org. Welcome to episode number 150. I'm excited today to introduce you to my friends Chuck and Luann Fowler. They are the parents of four sons, including Aaron, who lived an extraordinary life of faith and service to his country and went to heaven just a little over a year ago on Easter Sunday. I think you'll be blessed and encouraged by our conversation. Hi, Chuck and Luann. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having us. Yes, I have been looking forward to our chat and looking forward to people getting to hear your story. So let's get started by giving you an opportunity to just tell a little bit about yourselves. Tell us where you're from and what life is like for you there. Okay. Well, we're Chuck and Luann Fowler. We live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We have four sons. One of them is in Los Angeles, California. One actually lives with us. And then one actually lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then Chuck is um, retired recently. I am still cleaning houses part-time, just a little side business that I started a couple decades ago. And then in our spare time, we're active in our local church. All right. Good. Sounds like you live a pretty busy lifestyle. It feels like it, yes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, that's good. So we're here today to talk about your other son, and that is Aaron. Take a few minutes and tell us about him. Help us get to know him a little bit. Okay. Well, we we realized a couple of years ago, we were having one of those conversations that you have about your kids, and the word competent came to mind for mm-hmm. Aaron. And, and it was just a really good descriptive word. He was able to do whatever you kind of set in front of him. And, and he loved to challenge. And, and that was physical, mental, spiritual. If you said, this is hard, why, you know, he just ran to it kind of thing. He um, didn't want to miss anything, never, never wanted to miss out. The physical, why he was attracted to ODU, because it was a physical thing. The mental, he was always a good student and top of his class. The spiritual, when when he passed away, uh, they shipped his effects back to us. There were 26 boxes of books, 20, wow. uh, about 750 volumes, and they were divided between history and between some things that were oh, military-focused and, and training, physical training. And then there was an awful lot of them that were, you know, spiritual. How do you grow? How do you, you know, how do you advance in your faith? So he was pretty driven. As a young child, he was involved in scouting, wrestling, track, cross country, music lessons. He spent his summers serving at a Christian camp near Tulsa that he did for five or six years where he really did start to grow in his faith. So he was just a well-rounded guy. 
Yeah, it sounds like he had a lot of interests, and I love that word competent to describe him. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I love the 26 boxes of books. He sounds like <laughs> a guy after my own heart. I love to read, too. Don't have a lot of time to do it, but um, I'm not sure that all the books that I read are quite as deep as the ones that he was reading. Well, his his friends, one of the stories that we got really early on was, Oh yeah, the books, you know, because, you know, being in the Navy, he'd moved several times and he'd enlisted the help of friends to move the boxes of books. So. Yes. Yeah, so his friends were very familiar with those boxes, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So when Aaron was a junior in high school, he made a decision about his future. And what was that? Well, at some point early in his post high school thinking, he decided he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And we think that's actually where his desire to uh, apply to the Naval Academy came from. But that came, he did that application at the beginning of his senior year and was put on a wait list that year because the Academy had had a record number of applications and he never made it off the wait list. So after high school, he did a year of study at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, where he was um, pursuing civil engineering. But in the meantime, he went ahead and reapplied to the academy. And this, this time he actually got in. So after his year of um, studies at the University of Arkansas, he did begin at the Naval Academy. And we thought, okay, great. We were thrilled, you know, as parents sure. would be, right? And so um, he got into the second year there and decided that he was going to take a mission trip to Africa in the middle of his time at the academy. And we were a little unsure about how that would work, but he, he had it figured out. So he did take a year off from the academy to do missions in Africa. And we thought, okay, he was getting toward the end of that. He had reapplied to the academy, got back in, and then decided, wow. no, I think I'll do another year um, in Africa. So, so again, we're just kind of wondering where, what the Lord's doing, where this is going. And um, he finished his second year in Africa. At that point, he did come back and finish at the academy. And we thought, okay, finally, like now he's got these years of service that he has to do. We can get started on that. But instead of that, Aaron decided he would uh, get a master's in Arabic studies at Georgetown. So for the next year and a half, he was doing grad school in the D.C. area. And he finally finished that and began his training for explosives ordnance disposal at the January of uh, 20, which of course was COVID. Yeah. So that kind of put things, uh, kind of slowed things down a little bit. Wow. And as a parent, I imagine um, it's a little bit scary to think about your child doing something like explosive ordnance disposal. How did you deal with that kind of thing? Well, we, at first you kind of go, what? But as he talked about it, I, I think one of the things that drew him was it, it's a fairly small community. The people that do that, there's not a lot of people that do that. So you, you know people that do something similar all over the world, not just in the Navy, but all the disciplines trained there. So Army, Navy, uh, I suppose the Marines, but also Air Force trains there. So all those people are involved in the same thing. The word competent still comes back. Aaron was unflappable. We we knew that 
that mentally, you know, as far as thinking through the process that he could do that and, and do the work. I, I mean, you know, here's a hard thing. Aaron would go, Oh, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. One of his in dive school, he, he said, Oh yeah. They gave me a little grief about this because he had an exercise that was hard and they said, well, you did it too quickly. You were obviously panicked. And he goes, no, I knew I needed to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. And that's, he just worked methodically and through the problem. I, I know we, at one point we decided that when you think about it, you go, if he's in God's will, he, he's in God's hands. And, he's, and he's safe there. What you know? better, yeah. what better yeah. place could he be? So, yeah. so we were just trusting God that he was going to take care of it. Yeah. Well, he sounds like he was just uniquely equipped for that type of work. Uh, you want somebody, if they're going to be working on explosives, somebody that is competent and methodical and unflappable. Those are great words <laughs> to describe him. And it sounds like he had really found his niche. I think so. I really do. He loved the community and he was quick to engage those other EOD officers in Bible study. He, as soon as he knew where he, his next place was, he was researching churches online. He just really was where the Lord wanted him. We just still believe that to be true. So Yes, yes, absolutely. So talk about what happened in April of 2022. Okay, so April of 2022, it was Easter. So on Sunday, we celebrated Easter. Uh, we Aaron would call us typically every couple of weeks, whatever, but when he had 30 minutes or whatever, and he, he talked to his parents. And uh, he said, look, I won't have a cell phone. I, I can't communicate with you, so you won't hear from me from Easter. And we go, okay. So felt a little empty, but that's okay. And then... On the Monday following Easter, I, we went to the door and there were two officers from the Navy and they said those things that no soldier's parents wants to hear. He said, we regret to inform you that Aaron right. has passed. Mm -hmm. And he died during a training exercise off the coast of Hawaii. I can't imagine opening the door and, no. and seeing those, you know, the officers there, uh, you had to know immediately when you saw them, what had happened. Well, and actually my, my son, Austin actually opened the door and he goes, I knew what it was. And you go to the door and you go, and you realize, and you go, I want to close the door. I don't want to do this. And, you know, but you have to. And then, yeah. so that day, you know, after I did that, I had to call Luann and I think she was in shock trying to figure it out. A friend of hers actually drove her back to the house because I don't want you driving. And so they drove back. We talked to the Navy guys for a little bit and kind of talked about some details. And they shared that the next day the uh, commanding officer would be here in town from San Diego and that he would talk with us about what he knew and, and kind of what was going to happen in the future as a result of, you know, just the process, I guess, you know, and, and to give his condolences. And then almost before the, the Navy guys were gone, two friends showed up at the house early on. We added it to the prayer chain and, and it just kind of went, you know, through the yeah. whole, 
network. And we had a steady stream of people that day that just showed up at our door and said all kinds of wonderful things and, and hugged us and, and just were there for us. Uh, it was, it was so steady. We didn't realize about eight o'clock that night was the first time that we had been left alone. And it was God's grace to us because that's what we needed that day. Well, and a lot of people saw the activity and said, wasn't that too much? But honestly, Jill, it was like a revolving door. Literally, as soon as one left, another came. It was never overwhelming. And it it was really an expression to me of God's grace to us and his love for us in that day, that first day that we learned that he provided. He provided exactly what we needed. At the end of the day, at about eight o'clock that night, there were three or four or five couples that had come from our church and friends who just prayed with us. And that was exactly what we needed to go to bed that night. I mean, we didn't sleep, but you know, it was, it was just God's provision mm-hmm. from day one. Right. And seeing that so early on, seeing how God provided those people for you, I imagine that probably gave you some hope or helped you realize that God had not left you alone, that he was going to be with you from that day forward. That is so true. I remember when our pastor walked in the door, I gave him a hug and I said, I know two things, Eric. I know that God's good and I know that Aaron's with him. And that was um, me preaching truth to myself because, again, on day one, you're in shock. You're numb. You don't know. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what this is going to look like. You don't know how you're going to do. But you, you, God just provided. And, and preaching truth to myself was something that I really needed to do. Because, again, in that moment, you you just you don't know what you need. So Right. Right. And I know from from the visiting that we got to do together at the retreat that preaching truth to yourself kind of became a theme has been a theme for you throughout your grief journey. And it started on that very first day. It sure did. Yes. Yeah. I think that's so important. So valuable. (laughs) And speaking of preaching, Aaron had preached a sermon just not very long before he went to heaven, right? Just maybe a few weeks before. What was his topic and what did he talk about in that sermon? Well, that was another gift Jill, that was just another one of those ways that God showed us he's with us and he hasn't left us. So the first week, one of Aaron's friends who Aaron had known for since high school came and with his pregnant wife to visit. And God just gave us this carved out this beautiful amount of time together where we talked for five hours. Oh, it was just such a gift. And as he was getting ready to leave, he said, did you know that Aaron preached a sermon? And I said, yes, I I knew that. But he said, did you ever hear it? And I said, no, we never did find out what it was about or anything. And he said, well, do you want to hear it? And I said, are you asking me if I want to hear my son's voice? Are you kidding? Yes, I want it. I want to hear it. And he looked at me and he said, Luann, it's on grief. And I thought, how could that be? But sure enough, we have listened to that sermon over and over and over. And Aaron had spoken about six years earlier at his church in D.C. on the passage from Psalm 77, verse 19, that says, His way was through the sea, his path through the great waters, yet his footprints were unseen. And it was unbelievable, Jill, to listen to Aaron talk to us in the middle of grieving his death. Mm 
about knowing that this is not our home, yes. that we can trust the Lord with the circumstances in our lives. It was just such a gift to hear Aaron's voice telling yeah. us those things. Yes, I love that. What a comfort and what a gift to you to hear those words in Aaron's voice. Uh, that's just amazing to me. Yeah, God is good. God is good. As we're talking today, you guys have just passed the one year mark since Aaron went to heaven. So to me, in my opinion, that is still very, very early on the grief journey as bereaved parents. I mean, you're you're still just barely finding, finding your footing at this point. But have you been able to see at all yet how your grief maybe has been evolving over this first year? I think so. The the thing that we've talked about a little bit when looking at this question was at, at first the emotions are so raw and and it's it's kind of white hot. You know, you're dealing with it and it's the first thing. It, it's it's like a, a cut or a, or or being stabbed. You know, it's it's there and it is gut wrenching whenever whenever you think about it and you think oh, it'll never be any different than this. It'll always be this harsh, this dramatic. And down through time, you find it kind of wanes a little bit and it's more like, oh, this is a scab on my skin now. It's it's big and it's annoying and, it's, and it won't ever go away, but it's still there. That's a good analogy, but uh -huh. it, it's. I, I think we've we've settled in. I, I, we're a little scared of the second year because uh, we keep hearing that maybe that's the hardest year. Uh, the first year, we there was so much activity surrounding the military and and different things that we felt like we never slowed down. And this year, I think it's going to be take a breath and look around and go, this is what we are now. And how do we deal with this? And I, I'm sure God will give us grace to do that. But, you know, it's something we haven't done before. Sure, sure. Um, and just a word of encouragement to you. A lot of there are a lot of bereaved parents that will tell you the second year is worse. And for many of them, it is. My experience was not that way. For me, the first year was the worst. So you can't just automatically assume that the second year will be worse. I do think it's very different because, you know, in that first year, you're still kind of, you're still in that fog of even trying to wrap your mind around the fact that this thing has really happened and that it's really true. And some of that reality does tend to settle in that second year, the fog lifts. And like you said, people, everybody around you has kind of gone back to their normal lives and your life is still disrupted. So hopefully for you, the second year won't be worse, but sometimes it helps to know if it is that that's not abnormal. Well, there's, there's another thing in there too. I, I think you look at the second year and, and we're scared that, you know, people will forget that yeah. somehow or another, you know, uh, will be annoying when we bring up, Oh, well, let me tell you about Aaron, you know, which I'm still in that mode where, gee, I would like to talk about that all the time if you'd let me. So, Yeah. Yeah. Our kids are on our mind all the time. Uh, you think about it. My, you know, I, I still, even 14 years out, I think about both of my girls. Um, but Hannah's very often 
in the top of my mind even now. And we do. We love to talk about our kids. So, yeah, hopefully you'll still have opportunities, uh, just as many opportunities in the second year as you have in the first. So what advice would you have for somebody, especially where you guys are, just having passed this first year mark, what advice would you have to somebody who is right at the very beginning of their grief journey? Well, I would say one of the, another one of the many gifts that God gave what, that I could point to after Aaron passed was to recognize that the last passage of scripture that I had memorized was 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. That says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For these light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory, which far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And I had that, praise God, I had that scripture hidden in my heart that I could grab onto in those moments of just like, how am I going to do this? How are we going to do this? You know, you, you hold on to the eternal. And that was so helpful. I would encourage parents that are in the early days to look in the scriptures for hope. Because as believers, that is how we grieve. The Bible doesn't tell us not to grieve. It tells us to grieve with hope. And so we do that by pointing to the eternal. And that was so helpful for me in those early days. That was part of the preaching to myself, the truth of God's word. And the other thing that we did early on was we went to a grief share class and we met a couple who had lost all three of their sons. And we connected with them, got their contact information, were able to follow up with them, um, not just through Grief Share, but beyond the Grief Share coursework. And just having someone who was a step or two further down the road than us, honestly, when people would reference, oh, well, at this point, you know, in a year, you'll be X, Y, and Z, you're thinking, I don't think I'm going to make it to a year. I don't know that I can get, we're going to get there. And just having that couple as an example to look to and see they had made it through not just the first year, but many years, they were still following the Lord. They were still holding on to the hope of Christ. That was so helpful in those early days. And I just, I think we were constantly looking for those couples that were further ahead than us that we could engage with to, to recognize this is how you do it. This is, they've done it. We're going to, we're going to make it with God's help. We're going to make it. And that was really incredibly helpful. Yeah. I remember doing that too, looking at couples that were a farther, that were farther ahead of us on the road that were maybe six months in or a year or six years or 10 years and actually looking at them with kind of awe Mm-hmm. that they were still surviving and and thriving because I couldn't imagine six weeks in those early days, how I was possibly going to make it. Um, so it is very helpful to have somebody that's ahead of you that you can kind of look to. We actually call that drafting around here, like um, NASCAR, <laughs> you know, a car will draft behind another or geese draft behind each other where you can get in somebody, kind of get in behind somebody 
and draft along behind them. And you mentioned this couple that had lost three of their children, all three of their sons. That's Don and Patsy Aiken. And they uh, recorded a podcast episode with me that people can go back in the archives and see. And I will actually link that in the show notes to make it easier for people who might be listening today to find, because they are an amazing couple who have dealt with so much loss, losing three sons in completely different circumstances, many, many years apart, but they have continued to walk with the Lord and are so faithful and are so, so ready to reach out to other hurting parents and kind of guide them along and give them hope. Like when you're wondering if you can even make it the first year. So yeah, we appreciate that couple very much as well. I think another thing that, I, and I just thought of this, but uh, we bumped against a couple of people that had a similar experience where ours was a military. The military had some resources that, that reached out and, and, and helped us along this journey too. And and then we ran into, a, uh, experienced a couple that had also had a pretty similar experience. And I, I think it's, it's not a bad idea to try and reach out and find people that, that match your scenario uh, of what happened or how your loss came about. You know, sometimes that's helpful because there's nuances that you miss and that, you know, when your grief is different from someone else's. Yeah. I would imagine, and like you said, it would be great to connect with other people that may have a similar type loss. And, and I would imagine that having a child who is in the military, who died in active service, there are a lot of extra maybe hoops that you jump through, extra memorial services and things like that, that might be difficult to deal with. Was that your experience? I would say early on, it was helpful. Again, part of that at the beginning was just busy. We were so busy. We were moving from deciding on a cemetery to deciding on a funeral home to deciding who's showing up at the airport to receive Aaron as he was flown in from Hawaii. There was so much going on in those early days and it felt directed by the military. I will say that in a helpful way, in a helpful way. They did do a ceremony for Aaron in San Diego that was for his um, unit that was put on by his unit and they invited us to attend, which we did. So those things early on were helpful, I think, because they kept us busy. They kept us focused. They kept us kind of distracted, honestly, on the reality of our new life. But I do think it it ultimately was difficult in the sense that that ended at some point that ended. And in fact, that's we're getting ready to do go to a memorial service in Florida this weekend where the EOD community does an annual memorial. And we have been invited again to come to that, which we plan to do. I think we're we're all kind of ready to sort of put that piece of Aaron's life to the side. It's a part of who he was. We we are thankful for our men and women in uniform, but that wasn't all that Aaron was. And so we, um, in order to move forward from here after this year mark, we are eager to set that aside momentarily, I think, um, just to be able to 
move without those activities. So some of the things that you, you don't realize what an impression it made, you know, Aaron didn't want to have a, he didn't want to be buried in his uniform. He didn't, you know, he didn't want to have be buried in a, in a cemetery, a military cemetery, those kind of things. But graveside, we ended up having the military honors. Yeah. Well, we were very blessed, Jill. The military flew in probably 40 or 50 of Aaron's EOD officers, and they were all literally standing out in the cemetery. In They had practiced for an hour and a half prior to the burial, and they're in this pouring rain. And as they came through, just hugging them, you could feel the water running through your fingers. It was crazy. But they said, we are here for Aaron. That's what we're here for. And it was really moving. It was somewhat like a movie, but it was a gift. It was a gift in that time. And that we had two officers, naval officers that were peers of Aaron's, who literally during those first two weeks prior to the burial, walked us through the process. It was Really, you know, Chuck asked when his Aaron CEO said, we're going to send you two guys for as long as you need them. Chuck goes, what are we going to need them for? And we were we had no clue what we would need them for. And we did. We needed them. They were so instrumental in getting things, everything taken care of. It was it was a lot, but it was really not. It didn't feel overwhelming. It felt very necessary at the time. So it was another gift of God, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love to hear that. I'm glad that that his friends and his buddies were able to honor him in that way and that he received the the recognition that he deserved for the service that he has provided to our country. So I'm glad for that. I, I don't know if I can get through this, but I, I don't know. Have you heard of pinning the casket? Okay, yeah, so yes. in the casket. Yes. I didn't realize EOD does as well. And and you just kind of stand there and I'm sorry, I'm but okay. you stand there and you watch this line of people uh, of his fellow officers and, and and fellow sailors come through and, and pin the casket and it's, it's moving. Yeah. It's moving. Yeah. They yeah. had even asked us, they said sometimes that's a little jarring for for parents because it's loud because they literally put the pen on the wood and then they pound it in and it was it was loud but the rain was so much louder <laughs> that um it really it was just very moving each one of those men and women came through and did that 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 was part of the eod community so mm-hmm. yeah i I wouldn't know what that was except for, you know, our partners in this ministry, Larry and Janice Brown, their son was a Navy SEAL, and they talked about that too. What a moving, incredible experience that was to watch those fellow service members come through and and do that to um, Adam's coffin. So I can just imagine as a parent, the, the pride that you must feel um, in the service that your son gave his country, but the the sorrow and the devastation at the same time. Um, well, getting that flag, you know, oh. where the, that officer comes through and says, a grateful nation, you know, I just, it, it's, you're, you're right. It's just a mixed emotion of yeah. pride and just grief. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for Aaron's service. I know as parents, when your child is in the service or your spouse is in the service, it's not just them that serves. It's it's the whole family. So, you know, just all all due respect to you guys as well. This concludes the first half of my conversation with Chuck and Luann Fowler. I hope you'll come back next week as we extend our conversation to discuss a wide variety of issues faced by bereaved parents, including the marriage relationship, the things people say, dealing with the holidays and other special days, and the before and after of child loss. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to sharing the rest of our chat with you next Wednesday.